Welcome to Let's Talk, a podcast series by the Electrochemical Safety Research Institute. My name is Vallabhrav Rikka and I will be your host for this episode. In the Let's Talk series, we host discussions with leading experts, scientists and engineers from around the world in energy storage systems, safety science and standards and learn about their experiences and visions. Today, our discussion will be centered on green hydrogen technology from a global perspective. I remember that my supervisor said, tomorrow is more than any other day. Tomorrow doesn't exist today, yet we work for it. Tomorrow hasn't happened, yet it brings us hope. To date, we are continually renewing our commitment to adding substance to sustainability, to find solutions with lower carbon emissions, and to make modernize our greener world with the newer technologies. One of the promising technologies for decarbonizing multiple sectors, including the transportation, shipping, global energy markets, and industrial sectors will be green hydrogen technology. However, the development of hydrogen technology is still hampered by several obstacles. These challenges include the high cost of producing a hydrogen on a large scale, the requirement for investments in infrastructures, the requirement for bulk storage, transport, and distribution, the consideration of safety concerns, and the inability to precisely match supply and demands. Brett Perlman is here with us today so that we can learn how the H2 technology of today is crossing every T and dotting every I in the innovation requirements necessary to meet the goals of tomorrow. Brett Perlman serves as the CEO of the Center for Houston's Future, a non-profit organization working to address matters of the highest importance to the long-term future of the Greater Houston region. His career has spanned senior position in business, government, and community service organizations. Perlman served for four years as a commissioner on the Public Utility Commissions of Texas, where he was appointed in 1999 by then Governor George W. Bush. He holds advanced degrees in public policy from Harvard University and in law from the University of Texas and was a Pi Beta Kappa graduate of Northwestern University. Brett Perlman, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Perlman, the first question I have is, what is green hydrogen technology? How does it work? Well, uh, well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, very pleased to talk about some of the work we're doing and why I think it's important uh, not only to the um, Houston region, which uh, we at the Center for Houston's Future obviously focus on, but also uh, to the country and the globe. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about those, the trends we see and what we're doing uh, in these areas, uh, hopefully uh, during the podcast. Um, but in terms of your question, um, I got interested in this because I saw this, uh, the idea of using hydrogen, which today is primarily used uh, in the oil and gas industry as a feedstock, uh, that it could become uh, uh, a big part of the solution uh, to addressing climate change. Uh, in fact, Bill Gates calls hydrogen, uh, clean hydrogen, yeah. uh, the Swiss Army knife of fuels. And so I saw that our economy, uh, particularly in Houston, where we produce a lot of hydrogen today, uh, and we have a lot of the um, uh, ecosystem and infrastructure here, was going to have to undergo an enormous change. 
And so we have started to work on that. And the model that we're using is a model that I uh, worked on 20 years ago when I was on the Public Utility Commission of Texas, which is the state energy regulator. And we transitioned the electric utility industry uh, from a vertically integrated market to a competitive market. And I believe that was a, a significant change, a $37 billion industry that had to go through a massive change. Amazing. And I think that um, uh, that this industry, a hydrogen industry today, is going to go through a similar change, but on a much bigger magnitude. What is involved in making the transition to green hydrogen? How the desire to decarbonize the energy sector may lead to the future adoption of low-carbon hydrogen? Well, um, let's just talk about the colors of hydrogen first. So when we talk about green hydrogen, what people usually mean um, is they mean hydrogen that is created uh, from electrolysis, which is very simply the splitting of water into hydrogen and oxygen. And um, this is, um, any high school chemistry student can do this, um, you know, but to do it at scale uh, in a way that's cost effective, uh, we're just starting to get those technologies uh, developed today. Um, but I think it's important to know that um, uh, electrolysis of water, water splitting, is not the only way to create hydrogen. We use uh, and create a lot of hydrogen today uh, through what's a process called steam methane reforming that starts with a natural gas and adds, um, adds uh, a steam to it, and uh, but that creates a lot of CO2. And so people call that gray hydrogen. Yeah. And then if you couple that with, um, uh, with carbon capture, if you try to capture all the CO2 that's emitted, um, people call that blue hydrogen. And so green hydrogen is just one of the many colors of the rainbow of different types of ways to produce hydrogen. You sometimes prefer not to label hydrogen with the specific colors. Could you explain why? Uh, sure. So the colors of the rainbow uh, really don't reflect um, what the uh, actual what we're trying to actually do with the hydrogen, which is to uh, use it as a tool to decarbonize our world. And so uh, by using the colors, you can some get, sometimes get misled uh, into thinking that what you're doing is um, environment, environmentally beneficial when it may not be. And uh, I'll give you an example of that. If you were to use uh, water splitting, which is what we're calling green hydrogen, but you were to use uh, coal as the power source because it takes a lot of power, you might actually be increasing uh, your CO2 emissions. So uh, just because you're producing hydrogen um, through a methodology that's called green doesn't necessarily mean it's the greenest technology. Okay. And so I prefer to think about the carbon intensity of the hydrogen that's being produced. Okay. Now, this idea of carbon intensity becomes a much more complex uh, problem because we have to be able to track uh, how the hydrogen is made all the way from uh, the components of it. So if we're using natural gas okay. from the, um, you know, from the wellhead all the way through the pipeline system and the production of the hydrogen mm -hmm. and account for all the uh, carbon along the way, uh, in order to understand the carbon intensity of that, uh, way to produce hydrogen. Same thing with renewables. If we're using renewables to produce hydrogen through electrolysis of water, we have to understand the characteristics of the power we're using. If it's grid power, if it's if it's wind and solar that's directly connected, 
those are going to have very different levels of carbon intensity. I got your point, Perlman. Can low-carbon hydrogen compete with the fuzzy fuels nearby? Could you kindly share your thoughts? Uh, sure. So, um, as we start to develop um, these newer technologies, like a lot of the technologies, they're very expensive at first. But we've had this experience in the energy industry of seeing tech, the cost of technologies um, improve rapidly as they begin to scale. And that's called a learning curve. And so we've seen these learning curve effects uh, dramatically reduce the price of wind and solar in energy storage. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason to think that hydrogen uh, wouldn't go have the same learning curve effects. Okay. And so um, the trick is going to be how quickly that learning curve happens. And in order to speed it along, uh, you want to get the scale faster. And so the uh, recently passed um, Inflation Reduction Act had credits involved, a $3, up to a $3 a kilogram production credit uh, for the pr production of uh, green hydrogen or uh, hydrogen made from water splitting or renewables like we're talking about. And that type of uh, credit uh, will help to uh, lower the price of what's clearly more expensive today uh, to be able to compete more closely uh, with uh, hydrogen produced uh, from fossil fuels without carbon capture. Excellent. And so I think it can compete uh, with fossil fuels, uh, and the policies are now in place to make that happen. Okay. Amazing. Parliament? Could you tell us a little about the technology currently being used to produce hydrogen, as well as their challenges and future outlooks? Uh, sure. As I mentioned before, there are these different pathways uh, for producing hydrogen, uh, and the two main ones are water splitting and then um, steam methane reforming uh, with carbon capture. Uh, each of those uh, pathways have to, um, there's a lot of innovation that has to happen along each of those pathways in order to reduce the costs. Okay. And so there are companies looking at those cost reduction strategies mm -hmm. uh, for each of these pathways. And we at the center actually are doing some of that work as well. Okay. Um, we are looking at how can we cost reduce um, the equipment, the electro electrolyzer equipment required uh, to make green hydrogen um, by trying to understand how we can adapt current manufacturing um, uh, technologies to uh, this new industry. Okay. So those are some of the things that we're looking at. Um, but the industry isn't just limited to these two pathways, these green and these blue pathways that we've been discussing. Okay. There are a lot of very interesting new technologies, uh, some of which are being developed here in Houston. Uh, to give you an example, there's a company called uh, Syzygy Plasmatics that just spun out of, um, of Rice University and is using uh, very high intensity uh, light and a a photocatalytic catalyst uh, to create hydrogen. Other companies like Symbita Factory are using mi microbes uh, to create hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And so there are, uh, and then a third company is um, uh, basically um, uh, burning uh, natural gas at high temperatures, which releases the hydrogen and creates um, what's called um, uh, carbon black. And that can be used in a lot of industrial processes. So 
So we, there are lots of different pathways in addition to the green and the blue pathway uh, that we're starting to see emerge uh, just in Houston. Parliament, our energy technology experts have an important question for you. Today, the automotive industry is the primary consumer of fossil fuels, accounting for 40% of the total consumption across all other industries. To reduce its carbon footprint and become more environmentally friendly, the automotive sector is currently giving serious consideration to the introduction of lithium and battery technology. If the use of green hydrogen technology has the potential to lead to net zero emissions and sustainability, then why is the automotive industry having such a hard time adopting this hydrogen technology? Um, well, I think one you have to understand um, that um, hydrogen producing hydrogen is somewhat inefficient. Uh, so, because you have to convert it from uh, some a feedstock or from electricity to hydrogen, and so uh, what you'd like to do is use more efficient technologies first. And so, batteries tend to work uh, in the automotive sector, potentially in passenger vehicles, uh, because they um, uh, have greater efficiency. Okay. And because of the uh, batteries are now uh, being developed that can address what people call range anxiety, the fact that exactly. you don't want to run out of juice in the middle of a freeway. Yeah. Um, the, the issue, however, with heavy-duty trucking uh, with 18-wheelers, and to some extent, even with delivery trucks, is that those batteries aren't powerful enough uh, to, um, to, to move um, uh, cargo from, one, from point A to point B. Okay. And so, actually, um, there is quite a bit of development uh, going on to use hydrogen uh, in those applications. And we're starting to see the development of hydrogen 18-wheelers. We actually just had one uh, in front of a parking lot in front of our office a couple weeks ago. It was a prototype, but it was an example of what we can start to see, a vision of the future okay. uh, that we'll see uh, start to emerge, you know, in the next few years. So it's very exciting yeah. uh, to see uh, this technology used in that application. Um, I believe that both of these uh, technologies will coexist at the same time, that we'll need both batteries and hydrogen if we want to de uh, decarbonize uh, the transportation industry. Parliament, I would like you to share some advices for students and young minds on how to have a successful career in hydrogen technology. Well, I think one of the things that we're working on, uh, looking at is what are the needs of the workforce of the future? And interestingly enough, some of the needs are not that dissimilar uh, from the needs of the current energy industry. So becoming a uh, chemical engineer or an electrical engineer uh, give you the, um, the basic skills uh, to work in this industry. And then there will be um, additional certificates that uh, will be developed over time. Uh, University of Houston actually has a certificate program okay. already okay. in um, uh, enhancing skills. Uh, to work in the hydrogen industry. And so I think we're going to see, um, you know, those sorts of things evolve. So I think just having a, uh, uh, a basic understanding of uh, how energy works and then a passion uh, for addressing climate change are the two things uh, that anyone who is interested in getting involved in this emerging industry will need. Thank you, Parliament. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with us. That brings us to the conclusion of this episode. Thank you very much for the audience for joining us today and listening to Let's Talk.
please stay tuned for the next episode